Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. The Rookie is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie. Quentin suited up quickly and ran out of the arching gate in the orange end zone. The seats, all 185,000 of them, sat empty. The quiet, massive structure reminded him of the Deliverance Temple in Landing City, built where Mason Stewart's scoutcraft had first touched down on new, holy soil. That historic moment marked the end of the exodus from Earth. Stewart and his four million surviving followers founded the Purist Church Colony that would grow into the four-planet Purist nation. Quentin didn't have to be a convert to appreciate the powerful feeling of awe inspired by Deliverance Temple, just as he suspected someone didn't need to be a football fan to admire Ionath Stadium. He knelt and rubbed his hands over the field's blue surface. At first he thought it was painted, but up close he saw that the playing surface was made up of densely packed circular blue leaves, each smaller than his pinky nail. He pushed his hand down, feeling the blue plant give, then lifted his hand and watched it spring back. Yasud knelt next to him. Getting in a quick prayer cue? Quentin smiled. No, just checking out the field. Never stood on this stuff before. Nice, isn't it? I heard it's actually a plant that's native to Ioneth, called Iomet. When they took over the planet, they got some from a plant museum or something like that. Quentin stood and ran a few steps, taking an experimental cut. Yeah, good resistance. Not quite as firm as the Carsenji grass I'm used to, but not bad. The other rookies filed past them, drawing their attention back to the task at hand. Hokor sat in the 50-yard line, in his cart, of course, surrounded by Kraken's players. Humans, Quith Warriors, Scalorno, and, for the first time since he'd arrived, the huge and nightmarish key. The key were packed into two tight balls, each a mass of legs, tubular bodies, and black eyes, like pictures of multi-headed demons Quentin had seen back on McCovey. One of the piles of key players wore black jerseys for the defense, while the other pile wore orange for the offense. Pine, Yitzhak, and Quentin wore bright red jerseys, the standard football color for designating a do-not-hit player. In two days, we face off against the Wu-Wall Crawlers, Okor said. It's a good start for us, as we know they have trouble with our offensive speed. They also went 2-7 and seven last year, but don't let that fool you into thinking this is an easy victory. It's the opening game of the season, and we have to win it if we're going to reach Tier 1 this year. The players gave signs of agreement. Nods from the humans, quith warriors rubbing their pedipalps together, unintelligible chirps and lolling tongues from the sclorno, and the key clacking their arms against their chest. Quentin didn't know how to read the other races, but he could see the commitment in the eyes of the human players. They wanted to win. They wanted to reach Tier 1. First offense! Hokor called out over his cart's loudspeakers. Opening series! Quentin jogged to the sidelines. Pine the arrogant idiot, ran to the huddle with a confident stride. That was Quentin's huddle. He'd get it back, that was for sure. The ancient quarterback would have to make room for new blood. Quentin stopped when he reached the sidelines and looked at the medical bays behind the bench. 
Five full bays, like a military field hospital. Rejuve tanks, cabinets that held bandages, surgical equipment, and other things to help Doc and his staff repair damaged players and get them back on the field. Quentin could see just by looking that the med bays were more advanced than anything he'd seen in the Purist Nation, even in a hospital. The bays were a reminder of the speed and strength and violence of the GFL. That and the money involved, because a hurt player was a wasted investment. Patch him up and put him back in. Pine broke the huddle, and the orange jersey offense started on its own 20-yard line. The black jersey defense lined up in a 4-3 set, showing woman-to-woman coverage. Quentin had never seen real GFL football in person, and it was an awesome sight to behold. The key linemen were thick, wide, six-foot-tall obstacles, like little buildings with legs, their spider-like chitinous arms clacking against their chest as they talked to each other in their rhythmic combat language. The Quith Warrior linebackers bounced in place, one-eyed creatures clad in thick Riddell padding. Sklorno receivers and defensive backs, with fin pads to allow for pure speed, gracefully flowed from one place to the next, almost as if they had no bones at all. The first play was an off-tackle run by Mitchell Fayette, who even at three-quarter speed hit the hole harder than any PNFL running back Quentin had ever seen. Fayette came through the line, only to be met head-on by Chodo the Bright, the right outside linebacker. With a loud clack of pads, the two players hit hard. Fayette managed two more short steps before Chodo dragged him to the ground. A shiver ran through Quentin's body. Drills were one thing, an important thing, but football is about hitting. And with that first clash of starting offense against starting defense, the season was actually on. The veterans had been practicing for months, but for the rookies, this was their first upper-tier contact experience. Hine guided the offense through the first series, mostly running plays. When he did drop back, he threw short, accurate passes. In his first 20 plays, he threw downfield only twice for one completion. Twice the defense got to Pine, but both times they slowed up before hitting him and just put a hand, or the applicable appendage, on his shoulder. Yitzhak came in next and, by his mistakes, highlighted Pine's effectiveness. Hokor started subbing people on both sides of the ball. Yasud Murphy came in for his first full contact reps. When he carried the ball, he ran like a tank. His ever-present smile vanished, replaced by an expression that might have been more at home in a hand-to-hand ground war. The Sklorno rookie receivers, Denver and Milford, rotated in for several plays. Quentin waited and watched, trying to analyze the defensive weaknesses and trying, unsuccessfully, to be patient. Hokor finally called after an agonizing hour. Quentin practically sprinted out to the huddle. This was where he'd show Hokor, and the whole team for that matter, why he deserved to start. The offense was now a hodgepodge of first stringers, second stringers, and rookies. Denver and Mesquitic stared at him reverently. Yasud smiled. Warburg nodded. Okay, boys, let's take it to him. Pro 40 flash right. On two, on two. The players moved quickly from the huddle to the line, and Quentin felt in control for the first time since leaving McCovey. The VR sim was an amazing tool, but this was real. This was his chance to show everyone. He lined up behind Budoschweck, the center, 
and suddenly realized he had no idea how to take a snap from a key. Quentin stared at the long, tubular body. This close-up, Budo's body looked like a snake-skinned caterpillar with thick, multi-jointed spider legs. Pine and Yitzhak had made the snap look so natural, Quentin hadn't even thought about it. Where the hell was he supposed to put his hands? Bart! What is your difficulty? Quentin looked up at the coach in his little hover cart. Well, uh, I'm not sure. Oh, rub me raw, John Tweedy shouted. The hit doesn't know how to take a snap from a key. Laughter erupted on the field. Quentin flushed red. Everyone was laughing, laughing at him. Even Warburg was laughing, damn it. Pine calmly stepped forward. Just like this kid, he said, not a trace of laughter in his voice. Pine squatted down and slid his hands under Budoschweck's posterior. Quentin now saw that Pine squatted down deeper and reached in farther than he would have with a human center and had to stagger his feet a little bit in order to keep his balance. See, Pine said, it's not so different. Just keep your left foot back a step or two so you can reach in without falling over. Hut-hut! Budoschweck snapped the ball and shot forward, his body expanding quickly and violently. Pine tossed Budo the ball, then turned to Quentin. Got it, kid? Quentin nodded. Pine smiled, slapped him once on the shoulder pad, then jogged back behind the line to stand with Yitzhak. Let's go! Hokor called. Run the play! The offensive line formed up again. Quentin staggered his feet as Pine had done and reached far under Budoschweck. The key's rear felt cold and hard. He felt the pebbly skin against the back of his hands. A wave of revulsion tinged with a hint of fear swept through him. He was touching one of them. Budoschweck seemed indifferent, his right front leg curled around the ball, waiting for the snap count. Quentin looked over his center and surveyed the defense. It was like looking straight into a nightmare. Mayan Ikol and Para Yet, the starting key defensive tackles, eyed him with obvious hunger, their black eyes glistening. Key helmets consisted of a clear, circular visor that ran all the way around the head, accommodating for their 360-degree vision. Above the visor, the black helmet pointed back like a dog's claw, protecting the delicate vocal tubes. The two key tackles were flanked by defensive ends Alexander Michnik and Ibrahim Khomeini, both among the biggest humans Quentin had ever seen. They both hailed from Bosor III, a world with gravity three times that of Earth. Once, in school, he had seen pictures of an extinct creature called a gorilla. The class had been on creation, how all creatures were created as is by the High One. In the Planetary Union and the League of Planets, apparently, they believed that humans had evolved from these gorillas. Quentin had agreed that the idea was absurd, that it was ridiculous to think gorillas had given birth to human babies. But now... Looking at the 525-pound Michnik with arms bigger than Quentin's thighs and legs bigger than Quentin's chest, he suddenly had to wonder what a gorilla looked like if you shaved off all its fur and dressed it in football pads. From the middle linebacker spot, John Tweedy's evil laugh rang through the air. <laughs> well, looks like we got it easy now. The rookie is here to answer Sklorno prayers again. Eat crap, loser, scrolled across Tweedy's face. At left and right outside linebacker, respectively, Virak the Mean and Shoto the Bright bounced in place. 
fast, vicious, powerful one-eyed quith warriors. Sometimes they moved on legs and arms, low to the ground and leaning forward, waiting to attack, and sometimes just on their legs, standing tall and surveying the field. If they blitzed, Quentin knew he'd have to react instantly to avoid them. The Sklorno defensive backs added yet another horrific element to the defense, their translucent bodies and black skeletons showing clearly where the black jerseys and pads did not cover. Their armored eye stalks quivered with excitement. He felt a flutter in his stomach, a queasy feeling he'd never experienced before in a football field. He knew the feeling, but vaguely, a distant echo of something he didn't have time to think about. Blue 21! Quentin called. Blue 21! Tweedy moved forward, his huge frame standing right at the line of scrimmage in between Myonicle and Parayet. Here it comes, rookie! Tweedy screamed, his face a contorted mask of psychotic rage. The strange feeling in Quentin's stomach grew in intensity. Was Tweedy just showing Blitz, or was he coming for real? Flash! Flash! Quentin called out, audible into a short pattern pass. If Tweedy blitzed, Warburg would likely be open on a crossing route. Hot, hot! The line erupted like nothing Quentin had ever seen or heard. So loud. The clatter of chitin and key battle screeches and human grunts and smashing body armor filled the air like some medieval battle holo. Quentin pushed away from the line and reached the ball back for Yasu to carry, then pulled it away at the last second as a play-action fake. Quentin moved back four steps, then turned and stood tall, looking for an open receiver. Para yet ripped through the line and moved forward like a 560-pound, four-armed assassin. Quentin stepped up in the pocket and scrambled to the left to easily avoid the rush, or so he thought. A human defensive tackle would have slipped by, momentum carrying him past as Quentin bounced forward toward the line. But Perayet wasn't human. The key stopped on a dime and turned as his body contracted like an accordion. He expanded suddenly and violently, driving towards Quentin, long body trailing behind like a snake. Per Ah's arms reached out much faster and longer than Quentin could have expected in his split-second decision to scramble. The long, thick, spider-like arms flashed out and hauled him in, lifting him off the ground, then driving him to the turf under all of Per Ayat's weight and momentum. Quentin hit the ground hard. His body armor protected him from cuts and joint injuries, but couldn't do much to guard him from the concussive force of a 560-pound defensive lineman slamming him to the ground. He suffered a second or two of confused blackness. He didn't know where he was. His brain couldn't process the situation. He had scrambled like that hundreds of times in his short career, moving past defensive tackles as if they were statues, leaving them in awe of his speed and athleticism. No one caught him from behind. No one. He'd been almost ten yards from this key, a huge cushion, and the lineman knocked the living tar out of him. Suddenly, Quentin recognized that feeling in his stomach. Fear. The same feeling that ran through his mind and body for every punch in and punch out. The same fear he'd felt as a small boy when the holy women that ran the orphanage had told stories about the nightmarish key, how they ate humans, how they came in the night to snatch away bad little boys. He hadn't recognized it because he'd never before felt that emotion on a football field. 
Now, the 12-foot-long, multi-armed boogie creature from his childhood nightmares wasn't just real. It was on him, smothering him. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Get off of me, Quentin shouted as he tried to scramble out from under Perayette. The key's four jointed arms grabbed Quentin's helmet and held it tight his face close enough to push against Quentin's face mask. Two of the five black eye spots stared into Quentin's eyes. Pear Ayette's hexagonal mouth opened to expose the triangular, black teeth. It hissed, the sound from his worm-like vocal tubes muffled by the curving black helmet. Quentin didn't understand the alien's words. Pear Ayette pushed off him, heavily, and moved back to the defensive huddle. Yasud reached down to help Quentin up. He doesn't like you very much, Yasud said. What did he say? He said something to the effect that you'd look good roasting on a spit at his family picnic. Quentin stood, his body emitting a dull throb of complaint. Defensive players weren't supposed to hit quarterbacks, not in practice. He had just been leveled, and nobody seemed to care. Hokor, for one, wasn't saying anything. Quentin nodded. Now he understood. Oh yeah, he finally got it. This wasn't just a mind game. He really wasn't going to start. No coach let the defense hit a starting quarterback. He was just a rookie, and that meant he was fair game. It was going to be a long day.
At the end of practice, Holcor gathered the team in the orange end zone. They circled around their little coach in his little cart, 50 tired and bruised players that looked like they'd just been through a battle. Good practice today, Holcor said. We have only one more practice before we open the season. I know that it's hard on you rookies, but most of you won't see much playing time. That is the nature of the league schedule, and there's nothing we can do about it. Tomorrow's practice is a non-contact run-through. Quentin thought the term run-through was a funny concept, because he'd been hit so many times he could hardly walk, let alone run. The first-string defense had had a field day with him, blitzing on every down, throwing stunts and overloads and everything else they could think of. The second-string defenders hadn't been any easier, especially Mumo Killowee, who attacked every play like he was seeking vengeance on someone who had killed his family. The rookie key lineman had also delivered the biggest hit of the day. A cheap shot, a full two seconds after Quentin had thrown the ball. Quentin wasn't going to be the starter. His battered body told him that as clearly as if Hokor had spelled it out on paper. He'd played poorly, again, throwing three interceptions on 30 plays. He'd also thrown two touchdowns and gone 5 of 13 overall. But three interceptions... It was the freaking speed of the game. He just couldn't get used to it. The defense came at him so much faster than he had ever seen. And when he threw the ball, the Scalorno defensive backs broke on it like they had been reading his mind. He was third string. And right now, that was where he belonged. Prepare well for tomorrow's practice, Hokor said. You are dismissed. As the players walked off the field, Hokor's cart descended and landed in front of Quentin. You're throwing behind your receivers. You've got to adjust your throws, and you've got to start getting the ball higher in the air when throwing this corno. Do you forget they can jump to catch the ball? No, coach. Well, yeah, I guess I do forget that sometimes. Well, stop forgetting. If Pine goes down against the wall crawlers, you're not ready to come in. Coach, I'm ready. The words were out of his mouth before he could think about it, but they rang hollow even to his ears. All I need is more reps. I'm getting the hang of things. Are you? Fine. Then tell me who is the primary cornerback for the wall crawlers. Bangkok, Quentin said. He was exhausted and didn't want to play this ridiculous trivia game, but would answer the questions asked of him. Three-year veteran, wall crawlers MVP last year, started for the last two years, 11 interceptions last year. So with 11 interceptions, do we throw to her side of the field? Not if we can help it. So if we don't throw at her, who is the strong safety? Marlette. Five-year starter, has lost an estimated five inches on her vertical leap since leg surgery at the end of last season. Throw high and deep on post patterns. Hokor's petty palps quivered lightly. Good. Say it's third and 17. The nickelback comes in. Who are you facing? Quentin started to answer, then had to stop and think. Nickelback for the wall crawlers. Who did they bring in for passing situations? Oshkosh! Quentin said quickly, when the name jumped into his head. And what is her weakness? She, uh, she... Quentin tried to remember the one obscure fact about Oshkosh that could impact the game, but his tired mind came up with nothing. She has fused chitin plates near her hips, Okor said. They're too near her nervous center for anyone to operate safely. The fused plates greatly limit her ability to turn in midair. So if you throw to her area, you throw behind her where she can't turn to get the ball. Your receivers know this already, and so should you. Now think about that while you start running. Quentin's head dropped. 
He was exhausted, and he had to run again? Hold on, Barnes, Okor said. The diminutive alien turned and called through the cart's loudspeakers. Momo Galloway! Hokor shouted a few more syllables, all of which were pure gibberish to Quentin. The giant rookie lineman turned and scuttled over. He stopped three feet from Quentin. The key's black eyes burned into him in an expression of pure hatred. At least Quentin wanted to think it was hatred, and not the emotion he suspected it might actually be, which was hunger. Hokor barked a few more syllables. Mumo Killowee suddenly roared and reared up on his last set of legs, briefly making him a ten-foot-tall, arm-waving monster. Hokor, obviously unimpressed, simply pointed to the ground. Mumo Killowee dropped back down to six legs and fell quiet. I have told Mumo Killowee he is to be punished for his late hit. Such undisciplined play could have injured you, and someday you could be a valuable component of this team. Therefore, he will run with you until I am tired of thinking about it. Quentin stared, dumbfounded, at his tiny coach. This thing wanted to kill him, and Hokor wanted the two of them to run laps like workout buddies? You gotta be kidding me, coach. This guy will come after me as soon as we're alone. He's already tried twice. Then you'd better learn to communicate with him and fast. He is, after all, your teammate. Hokor flew off leaving Quentin and Mumo Killowee staring at each other. Quentin shook his head and started to run, but was careful to keep an eye on the young key. Mumo Killowee followed suit and ran alongside, staring at Quentin with his unblinking black spider eyes. Fifty-three laps later, Hokor apparently got tired of thinking about it. He called over the stadium sound system, sending the two rookies to their respective locker rooms. They'd managed to run laps without an incident, to Quentin's surprise. He pulled off his drenched uniform, each motion an exercise and ache. He was so soaked, he wondered if even the plastic parts of his pads were sweat-logged. Quentin walked to a mirror and stared at himself. He already had discoloring bruises covering most of his right shoulder and chest, as well as darkening spots on both legs. Bruises. He hadn't had any bruises since his rookie season in the PNFL. That was the last time anyone laid a solid hit on him. The locker room, of course, was empty, except for Masal the Efficient, who busily gathered up Quentin's clothes and pads. Which way is the shower? Quentin asked. Masal scrambled to open the first of a row of doors built into the wall. Quentin sighed heavily. Another nanite shower. It just wasn't what he needed. Don't you guys have a water shower here? Masal nodded immediately. Yes, sir, we do. Quentin felt a wave of relief wash over him. Well, show me where it is. Masal nodded again and started walking. Quentin followed as quickly as his exhausted and battered body would allow. If you'll follow me to the key locker room, sir, Masal said, I will be happy to take you there. Quentin stopped dead in his tracks. The key locker room? Are you kidding me? Masal nodded. Oh, no, sir. The keeper for running water to nanite cleansing. Well, so do some humans. Masal nodded again. No, sir. Humans prefer nanite cleansing. Not this human, pal. 
The nod, Quentin realized, was a gesture of subservience, not agreement. Yes, sir, of course. I will take you to the water shower. Isn't there one in this locker room? Nod. No, sir, it is in the key locker room. I will happily take you there so that you are satisfied with my service. Quentin hung his head. He was bruised, beaten, and exhausted, but he wasn't that tired. He waved Masal away and dragged himself to the nanite shower. He sat in his room, marveling at how much a body could hurt after just one practice. It wasn't enough to stop him from playing. Nothing hurt that much. But it sure wasn't a walk in the park, either. Quentin's fingers deftly worked game controls as he guided his players around the holo tank. Games were a good way to get his mind off practice. He didn't know who Madden was, but Madden 2683 was the best football sim he'd ever played. His toe pirates were up 22-16 over the Jupiter Jacks in a rematch of Galaxy Bowl 24. His door buzzer rang. Mitchell Fayette is at your door. Quentin hit pause and limped to the door. Fayette stood there, all six foot nine, three hundred and fifty granite block pounds of him. Good evening, Quentin. Quentin just nodded. Why are you not at second meal? Quentin shrugged. Just wanted to relax after practice. You do not make friends easily with the rest of the team. Quentin didn't know what to say. It was a statement, not a question. It does not matter, Fayette said. I came to say something to you. Fayette paused, as if waiting for permission. Well, go ahead, Quentin said. I have been in Tier 2 for seven years now, three with the Citadel Aquanauts and four with the Krakens. I have worked all my life to reach Tier 1. That is all I want. Quentin nodded. I came here to tell you that, Fayette said. I hope reaching Tier 1 is as important to you as it is to me. If you should take over the quarterback position, I will support you. I think you have talent. I want you to be strong in these first few weeks. I suspect you have not been hit like this before. Quentin shrugged. Yeah, well, there were some big hits in the PNFL. And none of them reached you, Fayette said. I have watched holos of your games. You are new to this level of hitting. And it will get worse during the games. Far worse. Quentin tried to imagine how he could be hit any harder. Maybe if he crashed a hover sled into a brick wall at 180 miles an hour. Maybe. You'll get used to it, Fayette said. You have a big, strong body, like me. I have watched you. You can take the hits. You may not know it yet, but you can take the hits. Be strong. Keep working hard, and good things will come. Fayette then nodded once turned, and walked away. Quentin stared out the door for a few seconds, then returned to his game. Did Fayette want something from him? Why was he being so nice? Quentin didn't know what to make of the guy. Hell, he didn't know what to make of any of his teammates. But did Mitchell, the machine Fayette, believe in him? Quentin shook his head. This had to be something else. Fayette had to have some kind of motive for this. Couldn't trust him. Couldn't trust anyone on this team. A voice in the back of his head reminded him that he hadn't trusted anyone on the Raiders either. Hadn't trusted anyone, 
in a long, long time. He picked up the controller, trying to ignore the pangs of loneliness as he focused on making his toe pirates win Galaxy Bowl 24. You have been listening to The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League Series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar, with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Super Weapon. Superweaponband.com. You gotta say I'm the Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.